I'm looking over. That's the one. All right. So I think it's become pretty much a cliche in our culture that the biggest complaint of the world or the culture out there against the church is what? Hypocrisy. Too many hypocrites. It's like, <clears throat> I can't even say it anymore without rolling my eyes. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever, I hear you. People say, I don't go to church because there's so many hypocrites that go to that church. D. James Kennedy would always say, well, there's always room for one more. So, <laughs> Or maybe they say, I don't, I don't go to church because I don't want to be a hypocrite because they do things that they know they shouldn't do and they think if they go to church and they're doing things they shouldn't do that that makes them a hypocrite. Either way, <clears throat> these people equate hypocrisy as a reason or probably the reason that <clears throat> they don't go to church or that they don't associate with people who do. <clears throat> I had a friend who used to say to people who said that they there were too many hypocrites in the church so they didn't go, he would say, well, there's a lot of hypocrites at Walmart too. Are you going to stop going there? Which I think is a good question, right? <clears throat> I say touche to that. But I think if we're honest, we wouldn't disagree with the fact that there's a lot of hypocrisy found in the people who make up the church, right? I mean, it's true. I don't know if it's a reason to not come to church, but it, it is true that that's, that's an issue and a problem. As a matter of fact, I think if you want to point out hypocrisy, you can see it in Scripture. You can see it even in the Apostle Paul. Romans 7, he said, the very thing I don't want to do is the thing that I'm doing. And the thing I do want to do, I don't do. Well, that sounds like hypocrisy, right? <clears throat> sounds like me too. So, I mean, I think these people are onto something. The church is full of hypocrites. I think. And I think we all, even with the most pious of you, we have some hypocrisy in us for sure. And, and while the world can use us to justify they're not going to church, that kind of hypocrisy is not the worst kind of religious hypocrisy. What we're going to look at today is what Jesus says is a more deadly and a more disgusting form of hypocrisy. And he condemns it in his time and continues to condemn it in our time. He calls his disciples to not do that. That's what we're going to look at today. So we come to our first passage from Matthew chapter 6 today. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. If you would stand to respect and honor and revere the very words of God that we're about to read publicly together. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, 
Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Let's pray. Thank you for your word, God. And I pray that we would not take for granted the awesome privilege it is to gather here today to look at, to listen to, to dissect, and to determine what this word is saying and how we should respond to it in the power of your spirit. We ask for your spirit to teach us and instruct us, convict us, And again, God, we beg you, if there be those here this morning who do not know you, who have not been converted, who have not been born again, we pray that by the miracle of your Holy Spirit, you would breathe life, new life, into these dead bodies. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So chapter 6, seemed like we were in chapter 5 a while, right? A lot of little pithy sentences and small paragraphs there in chapter 5. But before we dig into chapter 6, which will go much quicker than chapter 5 did, by the way. If that's an issue with you, I don't know if you care or not. But um, we do have to recap where we've been up to this point, not just in the Sermon on the Mount, but in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel is written to portray Jesus as what? The King. The king of the Jews, the promised forever king who would fill David's throne as God had said would happen when he made his covenant with David who was Israel's greatest king before Jesus. After showing Jesus' lineage, birth, early childhood, and move to Nazareth, we see Jesus basically coronated at his baptism where God proclaims him as his beloved son. Then after being tempted by the devil in the wilderness, Jesus arrives on the scene healing, teaching, preaching, and calling disciples. And as we started the Sermon on the Mount, which covers Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and remember we said it's, it's the first of five major discourses in the book of Matthew. As we come to the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7, we saw Him addressing His disciples specifically, teaching them what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And it's already been quite a ride, hasn't it? Jesus has blown the lid off the expectations of what it means to be His follower. He has explained that what the world suggests is failure is actually to be sought out and desired in His kingdom. Being poor in spirit, mourning, meekness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, being merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted, those who are reviled and spoken evil against falsely. These are great in the kingdom of heaven. But he also made it clear that his disciples, those in his kingdom, are the very salt of the earth and the light of the world. And he told them to let their light shine before other people so that those people will see their good works and glorify their Father in heaven. And then Jesus turned his attention to the law of God, which had suffered misinterpretation and misapplication for centuries under the leadership of the Jewish teachers of the law, most prominently in Jesus' time by the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus made it clear that He had not come to abolish God's law, but His goal was to fill full, fulfill that law. And then He showed that their shallow view of the law, their minimal effort version, fell far short of God's expectations for His people. And He says in chapter 5 verse 20, 
For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's talking about a different kind of righteousness than this external rule-keeping, minimal on the law of God, maximum on tradition and observance before men. He's saying that's not going to get you into heaven. You've got to be dead, right? <laughs> and then he began illustrating what this meant, addressing issues like anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, loving your enemies. Jesus showed that the law is not just a matter of doing or not doing simple acts, but is in fact a matter of the heart, piercing down to the innermost being of the individual who is accountable to it. And then he put the bar exactly where it had always been when he said in Matthew 5.48, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, Jesus is rocking the boat to say the least. But he's not done yet. We've got two more chapters of this message. And 22 more chapters of Matthew. And he's definitely not done rocking the boat as far as what he's saying about the scribes and the Pharisees. <clears throat> so as we move into chapter 6, he addresses these scribes and Pharisees and contrasts what his disciples should look like and be doing And he's going to address both personal and public displays of true religion, turning his gaze through chapter 6 on the issues of giving to the needy, prayer, fasting, laying up treasures, and anxiety. Anybody anxious to get to that anxiety message? So yeah, things are just going to get more and more interesting. So we jump into chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Hmm. So we see really quickly that this next movement in Jesus' sermon is about action. What's the first word there? Beware. It's an ominous word, right? Beware. It infers an active engagement, a vigilance, and a purpose in what's going on. Beware. Make sure you are paying attention to something. Now, what do you think of when you hear the word beware? Huh? Oh, yeah, but wait, what's the sign you always see? Beware of the dog. Well, what's that mean? It's like, watch out, there's a dog in here. And we don't know if it's going to bite you or not, but you just better beware, right? So it's like, okay, I'm going to go in this yard. I don't see the dog, but it's here. I want to be aware of its presence. Beware, right? So there's an active engagement of vigilance, a paying attention. Keep your eyes peeled. Keep your life engaged. Make sure something that he's about to talk about, is on the forefront of your mind. Beware. And what are they to be aware of? What are they they to beware of? To be making sure that they are focusing on. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I'm thinking there's other things to beware of. You know what I'm saying? 
Beware of people who want to cut your head off. Right? Beware of people who are going to beat you with rods. And Jesus says, I want you to beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. You see the difference? I mean, this whole thing is upside down and inside out as compared to what the world would normally say. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Seems like an odd thing, doesn't it? Not to Jesus. You see, all the doctrine, all the law that we saw in chapter 5 has to be translated into action, into our lives, both toward God and toward men. And it's going to be important to know what is to be done before God and what is to be done toward men. And while we always live before other people and all things are done before God, we can really miss the mark when we're doing the things that we do. We can do that before men that we should be doing before God and vice versa. And Jesus says up front today, beware of that. Beware that even righteous deeds, good deeds, the right thing can be done in the wrong way or for the wrong reasons. Beware of practicing your righteous deeds before other people to be seen by them. Now, remember, we said in our recap of chapter 5 that Jesus said His disciples are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and they were to let their light so shine before men that men would see their good deeds and glorify their Father who is in heaven. So do your good deeds in front of people. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Well, which is it? What's the answer? Yes. The answer is yes. Do good deeds before men and beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Do it and don't do it. Of course we do our good deeds so that other people can see them, so that they might glorify God. That's what he said that they might see your good works and glorify your fathers in heaven. But Jesus is saying here in 6.1 that we are to beware of doing these righteous deeds for what reason? To be seen by the people. To be seen by the people that you're doing them in front of. Doing them so that others might see God is good. Doing them so that they might see you, not so good. Bad, actually. You see the difference? 6.1 here is not a command to not be public in your religion. Just keep it in your home, private. That's what the world says, right? You just keep your religion between you and God. Well, we can't do that because it's going to translate into public action. But beware of going public so that people say, Oh man, look at Jason. Shine bright out there. But avoid doing righteous deeds in order to bring attention to yourself. Do your good deeds out there to show God in His glory. But don't be the person who does the right thing, the good thing, the conservative thing, the churchy thing, so that people will say how good you are, how holy you are, what a fine guy he is. Beware of doing this. Be vigilant that you don't do such things. Like a dangerous dog, right? 
This temptation is out there. And you may not see it, but it's out there. You may not feel it right now, but it's out there. Beware of it. It's prevalent and it's pervasive. And it will bite you if you wander into its yard. Yes, this temptation is out there. And it's in here too. I am so very afraid that we all really do like to be seen by men. That we really do like to be seen by others. Oh, some of you guys are Bible college students, right? Whoa, wow. Wow, Bible college. Yes, yes, it's true. Appalachian Bible College. I I go to Bible college. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm majoring in Bible. And that's not wrong. It's not bad. But if you stick out your chest and say, yeah, yeah, Bible scholar. Wow. Be careful. Be careful because we like it. We like to be seen by men. And we do love to have them talk about how really good we are. Don't we? And Jesus knew that. He knew what was in men's hearts. He knew that we longed to be accepted. He knew that we longed to be approved of. He knew that we just soak up and love compliments. He knows that we love to be spoken well of. So He tells His disciples to beware. Watch out because you're going to like the attention you get from being good and nice. And if you're not careful, you'll you'll start chasing that applause and that attention. Beware! Because if you get on that path, it's going to be hard to get off of it. You're going to get addicted to it. So beware. But why? What's so bad about people saying good stuff about you? Because if you do things so that people say good things about you, if you do good things so that people will notice you, what's he say? You will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Well, now wait just a minute. That sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? Yes, it does. If you do what you do so that men, so that people will notice you, you will have no reward for those deeds from your Father in heaven. Your motivation, your reason for your righteous deeds doing is of utmost importance. Do you want other people to see you? Do you want people to pat you on the back? Well, congratulations. Because if that's what you want and you do it and you get that pat on the back, that's it. That's it. Do you want rewarded by God Himself? Then do what you do for that reason. You see, we already saw back in chapter 5 that God's glory is the reason for our good works. Our glory gets us noticed by men, and that's it. But God's glory is supposed to be our motivation in all that we do. And you know what else is supposed to motivate us? Getting rewarded by God. We, as God's people, are supposed to desire the rewards that He offers to us for being obedient to Him and doing what He has commanded us to do. We sang today, I want to hear you say the words to me, well done. I want to hear you say, good and faithful servant, and on and on, Jesus, you are my reward. But let me ask you something clearly. Do you want to be rewarded by God? 
Do you want the rewards that God gives to those who obey Him? You say, well, that's not very nice. That's not very good. You shouldn't want reward. Pa! You're not reading your Bible, if that's what you think. Anybody ever reward your children for something they did good? Kids, you ever get rewarded for something you did and you're like, hey. Now there's two different routes you can go with that. You can either say, I am pretty cool. Or you can say, mom and dad are really nice. This is a good gift. Thank you very much. God rewards His children. And He rewards them in a lot of ways. We'll talk about that at the end. He rewards us by letting us know Him more. He rewards us by speaking through us as we preach the gospel and do our good deeds so that people will say, well, look how awesome God is. He lets us be a part of that. But that's not all. We'll talk more about that later. It is not vain, it is not selfish to want the rewards that God is offering. God's rewards are to be sought and they are to be sought in place of the applause and the praise of men. Because there are other other options, other rewards to seek. Look at verse 2. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Ooh, boy. Jesus gives us an explanation of how to seek rewards from God and how to seek rewards from men. To seek rewards from God, you do something like giving to the needy. That's a righteous, that's a good deed. But it seems like there are some who were doing this deed in a way to bring attention to themselves. Right? Jesus is talking about how the scribes and the Pharisees of His day would give to the needy. Now, He's not talking about giving in the temple. He'll talk in... in the, he says there in verse 2, in the synagogues and in the streets. Now, that's not the temple. Okay? So this is not temple worship. This is when the public is gathered in a busy street at a synagogue. And what they would do is... There's some discussion as to whether they actually did blow a trumpet before them or if Jesus was being hyperbolic. The commentators say both. Some would say they would literally have a guy come before them with this silver bugle thing. I will now give to this needy person or to this food bank or to this benevolence fund. Watch. And just pour money out. Pour money. And people... That's a righteous person. That's a good guy right there. And then some people say that Jesus was just being hyperbolic, that it was like they were doing that type of thing. Kind of... No, I won't go there. These Pharisees would announce their giving somewhere or another so that people would know that they gave. Either way, whether they blew the trumpet or not, they would announce their giving and they would make sure that everyone around knew what was going on. And what does Jesus call these people for doing so?
Starts with an H. He calls them hypocrites. Woof. The Greek word is hypocrites. H-U-P-O-K-R-I-T-E-S. And it means an actor. A stage player. A pretender. Jesus is saying that these Pharisees and scribes were just acting. And their goal in their acting was the applause of men. Anybody ever done any acting? Any thespians here? Yeah. But what's the best thing in the world when you get done with that play? Man, the crowd stands up. <laughs> Woo! Woo, that, you did good. Good job, you. You, you. Oh, you're good. Oh, that was good. We like that when you do that. That was good. That Yes, you. That's exactly what these scribes and these Pharisees were after. They were acting. They wanted the applause of men. And actually, what's funny is actors at this time used masks. They didn't even have to look like what they were portraying. They just had to manipulate their voice and their tone and their inflection while they held the mask up in front of their face. They could just hide behind the mask. And Jesus is saying that these righteous deeds, the giving to the poor, the calling of attention to themselves was just a big mask. A mask they put on so that people would think that they were something, that they were someone that they really weren't. They wanted to be praised by others, and they did what they did to get that praise. And Jesus said, you are a hypocrite. Let me tell you what, I don't know that there's a word in Jesus' vocabulary that scares me worse than hypocrite. Does he look at me and say, hypocrite? That's exactly what he said about these scribes and Pharisees. Can you imagine how angry they were with him? Can you imagine how they felt as he said this stuff? Don't be like the hypocrites. Did he cast a sideways glance at them? over there with their long prayer shawls, people gathered around them, their disciples sitting around them. Don't be like the hypocrites. (laughs) Jesus, that's not very nice. And he says, neither is what they're doing. Hypocrites. They wanted to be praised by others. And Jesus said that made them hypocrites. And that's a much worse kind of hypocrite than those who struggle with their sinfulness and fail and fall while calling out for God's grace and mercy. Who look at Matthew 5.48 and say, I can't be perfect. I fall short every day. It's much worse to say, I'm a really good person. Look at all this good stuff that I do. And you can tell these kind of people, they're always saying, I, me, I did this, I said that, I gave this, I, 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 I. And you can't talk to them without thinking that they got something in their eye. Because all they're talking about is I. And I have been there, probably still there. 
These hypocrites do what they do to have other people praise them. And these hypocrites are disgusting in God's eyes. They want other people to praise them. And they're not doing what they're doing to get rewards from God. These hypocrites seek their own glory, not God's glory. And this type of hypocrisy is heinous in God's eyes. And He will not reward it. No, they have received their reward. Past tense. The oohs and the ahs of the crowd who saw them give is the only reward that they will receive. Seems like a shame, doesn't it? It is. And that's what Jesus is conveying. These disgusting, self-seeking deeds done to garner men's applause render an immediate and fleeting reward that is really no reward at all. What a shame. So then what? Look at verses 3 and 4. I'm not clicking up here if y'all can help me out again. But... When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So in order to not be a hypocrite, to not be actors who just get the applause of men and miss the true reward of God, well, we still should give to the needy. Don't miss that. It's not a matter of not doing things like helping needy people. No, we will surely be doing things to help others. Things like giving, sharing, sacrificing. But we are to do it in a way that is secret. Not out in the open, announcing and promoting ourselves. No, we are to do what we do in a way that is so covert that even our left hand doesn't know what our right hand's doing. That's just a way of saying it's a quick, second-natured, spontaneous, and like we kind of surprised ourselves that we did it. We don't scheme and plan and work out the best ends possible. No, we even shock ourselves sometimes. And it's in secret. It's not out in the open for everybody to see. It's in secret. The word for secret is cryptos. That's not where Superman's from. K-R-Y-P-T-O-S. It's close. But this word cryptos means hidden, inwardly, concealed. Don't go around telling everybody about the sandwich you bought the guy begging down at the intersection. You might want to buy him a sandwich, but don't go around telling everybody about it. Don't make sure everybody can see you giving your care packet to the poor old lady down near Walmart. Don't wait for the point in the conversation where you can fill everybody in on all your philanthropic adventures, all your virtuous piety shown by the gigantic tax break you got for your sacrificial charitable giving. And I'm not saying don't claim it on your taxes. I'm saying just don't talk about it. Do it in secret, concealed and hidden. Because this is not about your reward now, is it? Actually, yes, it is about your reward. Jesus is saying that if you give to the poor in secret, not looking for the applause of men, God will reward us. That's one of those sentences you can do the emphasis on each word. God will reward us. God will reward us. God will reward us. God will reward us. 
So in a very real way, this is about our reward. This is what Jesus is saying. God wants to reward us. And so He tells us how to go about seeking and getting that reward. Do what you do in secret. Seeking that reward from God, not from man. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a play actor. Don't wear a mask. Do what you do and do it in secret. And God will reward that. So four big verses. That's all we got today. So it's time for what now? And so it's time to see what we God has a lot to say in His book. Uh, it's time for application. Plenty to apply here. And again, I, I'm just letting the passage itself define the uh, application points. There's no alliteration today, but they're very plain spoken. Very easy to remember. Here's your three application points. Do good deeds. Seek rewards. What's the last one? Don't be a hypocrite. Do good deeds. Seek rewards. Don't be a hypocrite. If anybody wants to alliterate that, have at it. Tell me about it after when we're sitting down eating. Just think it's that simple. Do good deeds. Seek rewards. Don't be a hypocrite. Listen to me. Do good deeds. The Christian life is a life of doing. You can believe all the right information. You can have all the right stuff in your head. But if it's not translated into your life as far as doing something, I doubt the validity of what you know and believe. Be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only. And as, as disciples of Jesus, it's not just a command to do something, but it's more about a lifestyle of seeing the needs of people and wanting to meet those needs. If we see needy people, we should want to help meet the needs of those needy people. How's your wanter? Do you want to help needy people? Maybe you don't have the means to help them, but you really want to. Maybe you see needy people and you roll your eyes like, I am so tired of seeing beggars. Guilty. It seemed like for a while there in Beckley, every stop sign and red light had somebody with a cardboard sign in front of them for a while. And my heart was hard, and I'm like, I am so tired of seeing these. I don't know if they're true or not. But my hard, calcitrant heart did not care a bit and just assumed they were lying. Roll my eyes, roll up my windows, lock my doors, and wait for the light to change. Let me ask you to evaluate yourself. Do you want to help people? Do you want to meet the needs of people who are needy? Do you care about the poor? And I'll have to admit, and I think in fairness to us, we're kind of at a disadvantage in our time 
Because we see and we hear about needs from pretty much literally the whole world. We see orphans in China, lepers in India, homeless people in L.A., burned victims in Pittsburgh, abused puppies in Braxton County, and on and on and on. And you're like, you know what? Forget it. We're overloaded with need. Okay, if y'all have done this, this is not a judgment on you. Facebook birthday. Now you're raising money. Okay? So-and-so is participating in a fundraiser for so-and-so. I can't even remember to type happy birthday most days. I'm like, there's six birthdays today. I don't have time for this. And they're all raising money for a charitable donation. So no, 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 no. Happy birthday. HBD, HBD. Happy day. God, go. Again. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying we are overloaded. And I'm just being fair to us. We're overloaded with requests for help. We have almost limitless chances to give and help, but it's really hard to know what needs to meet. And I would think that the people in Jesus' time lived in a much smaller circle than we do. They would know when and where beggars were begging. And they would probably even know the stories of those people. Oh, that's Simon's son. He was born blind. But we have the World Wide Web. We have television. We have movies. We have documentaries. We have Amazon and PayPal. So we can move money and goods in moments across the world and across the street. So the question that I would have, I'm saying do good deeds. How should we best engage in doing these good deeds? Jesus said... Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. And to me that's saying, give in a way that's not orchestrated or pre-planned. Do good deeds that need done in the moment. We recently rewatched, and if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about, the movie Robots. Animated movie. Rodney Copperbottom. And his motto was what? Do you remember? See a need, fill a need. I think that's good. I think that's, that's really good, especially in our context today. See a need, fill a need. Proverbs 3.27, hopefully, says it this way. I'm trying. There we go. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Okay? We could come up with a thousand reasons not to, but are we the kind of people who want to meet the needs of the needy? You say, well, I don't really know if they're needy. Well, then don't do it. Okay? Jesus said to give to him who begs of you. But you know what? If you're worried about him going off and spending money on drugs, don't do it. It's fine. I'm not saying you're a bad person for that. But this is saying, don't withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's in your power to do it. Not orchestrated or pre-planned. And I think that's right. I think it's right to note that in our text today, the good deeds being prescribed were giving to the needy. This was almsgiving in the synagogue and in the streets. This was above and beyond what you would give in the temple, which was prescribed by the law. That was my excuse for a long time. Well, we give at church. We give all of our money at church. We let Will and Steve determine what to do with our money. But this is seeing a beggar and giving to alleviate his current suffering as best as you could. 
It's a spontaneous thing. We talked about the Annie Armstrong thing. The Annie Armstrong thing is above and beyond what you would give to the church. You should give to the church. You should give regularly to the church. You should give a portion of your, I would say, pre-tax income to the church. That's, that's my prescription. And this is above and beyond that. This is not, oh, I've got my tithe money in my pocket. I'll give some of that to this poor beggar. This is meeting a need in the moment by giving alms above and beyond what you would normally give to the church. And it's tough. I get it. I know it's tough to discern what we should give and what we shouldn't give. The Pharisees would plan out what they were given. They'd find a crowd to watch what they were doing. These deeds, this lived out Christianity though, is an overflow to meet needs in the moment, be they gifts of financial or service. And again, I'm not here to tell you what you should or shouldn't do. Pick up hitchhikers. Help someone broken down on the road, walk a little old lady across the road. I don't know. But it would seem to me that a Spirit-filled believer will have the power of the Holy Spirit to discern what is need and what is not. Jesus said, be innocent as a dove and to be as shrewd as a serpent. And the Holy Spirit gives us power to do that to know where we can be of the most benefit with the smallest chance of being praised or even thanked for it. Live your life and I promise the Lord will provide you plenty of these opportunities. Promise. Take those opportunities and do good deeds when and where you can. Why? Because we want to meet needs. We want to help needy people. And, second point, remember, seek rewards. Why should you do good deeds? Because you should be seeking rewards. Jesus was crystal clear that the deeds that He was prescribing were to be done with an eye on getting rewarded by God. Now don't slough off this mindset too quickly. Matter of fact, don't overlook it. Period. Live a life that is intent on getting rewarded. But make sure that reward is from the loving heart of God, not the clapping hands of men. But what is the reward of God? I said we talk about that. We don't have a lot of time to explore that here. But let's look as quickly as we can, a couple passages, to get an idea of what it means for God to reward us. Let's look at Luke Chapter 12, verses 33 and 34. Here Jesus says, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Wow, that's, there's that again. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Jesus is going to say a similar thing in Matthew 6, by the way, later. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus is saying here that if we sell what we have and give to the needy, like what we saw in Matthew giving to the needy, then we will provide money bags (laughs) that do not grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Listen to me. Giving to the needy gives us treasure. Money bag treasure in heaven. Well, I I don't need no money bags in heaven. Just as long as Jesus is there, that's all I need. I could just touch the hem of His garment for eternity. 
Listen to me. I think we've been sold a bill of goods by the church telling us that we shouldn't seek rewards. We've talked about this before. It's been an application point before to seek rewards. Because I remember the conversations that sprung out of it at my house later that evening. Yes, knowing Jesus and treasuring Him is a gift in and of itself. But there's more, y'all. There's more. God is both unbelievably wealthy and unbelievably generous. He loves to give good gifts to His children. So do you think that all that wealth is going to be hoarded by a grumpy God who just wants it all for Himself? It's my stuff. Y'all go live in your mansion that I gave you. Look at these streets. I gave you streets of gold. That's not God. Jesus would say, fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God's not grumpy. God's not selfish. That's crazy talk. God tells us to seek a reward, a heavenly reward that He will give us. The commendation of well done, good and faithful servant is going to be followed by rewards. The talents, the minas, those stories that Jesus told. They get what they had and more. Of things, stuff. Well done, those are good words, but it's not just words. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, Paul says, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. There's a distinction here. Somebody did what they did, their own works. That's wood, hay, and stubble. And the fire is going to burn that up. And they're going to get into heaven. He's going to be saved. But there's another guy over here who built with silver and gold and precious stones. Those things survive the fire. And he's going to have a reward that the guy who built with wood, hay, and stubble does not have. Gold, silver, precious stones. Or wood, hay, and stubble. Which reward do you want? Because we are to seek rewards. Our work will be tested, and if our work, our deeds, survive the fire of testing, we will receive a reward commensurate with the amount of work, the amount of deeds done. Don't get all high and holy and say you just want to be content with being in heaven because God wants more than that for you. And this is not about sowing a seed and getting paid back a hundredfold here. That's not what this is about. The prosperity gospel is an abomination and it is a false gospel and God hates it and so should you. This is about rewards in heaven that God loves to give to His people. 
And yes, being with God, worshiping for eternity is a reward in and of itself. Jesus, you are my reward. To hear your voice on that day, to see your face on that day is all I'm living for right now. But I'm living right now in such a way that I'm trying to earn rewards in heaven. Motivation. Why do I go to work every day? Because I get a payday every two weeks. I don't go there just to be nice. Because I'm not nice. I'm grumpy. I'm selfish. But I get rewarded for that work. God operates on that type of economy in a pure and holy way. God has set things up this way. And He will do it. So work. Do your good deeds. And seek rewards. But be careful. Final point. What was the final point? Don't be a hypocrite. We are right to do good works. We are right to seek a reward in doing them. Jesus said that clearly today. But He also said that we are to beware lest we swerve off course and do what we do for the wrong reward, the wrong reason. It is so incredibly easy to want people to notice our piety. So easy to fall into the trap of the mindset that tells us that we need to make sure everybody knows what deeds we have done. I have done this countless times in my life. I'd be in a crowd of church folk, people that I may not have known so well, maybe that I did know. And I would be waiting, looking for that chance. I'm like a horse in the gate, waiting for that chance when I could just drop into the conversation... Yeah, we saw that in Africa when I was there. You've been to Africa? Yeah. And the Philippines. Yeah, we were there. Uh, we, were, we were training local pastors to make disciples. And then I'd awe shucks it when they would say how admirable and great that was. And I'd usually say how good God was and all that, but I really deep down enjoyed the approval and the applause of men. I liked the looks on people's faces when they heard Africa. And I could feel myself trying to find that opening to bring it up in conversation, especially with church folk. Everybody would be recounting their spiritual exploits. And I was just jockeying to get in a position to drop the missions bomb. But I blow your mind with Africa. When we were in Africa, we saw a lot of that persecution. Oh, you've been to Africa. Well, I mean, it's not like I traveled halfway across the world. Well, I guess I did, but I've been to Africa and the Philippines. And I do think that much of what I did on those trips was good and right and God-honoring. I don't regret them at all. But my efforts to let people know about them, no, that wasn't God-focused. That was me being a hypocrite. And it's so easy to fall into that trap. You do that good deed and you start thinking, man, who could I tell about this? So-and-so was talking about all the money they gave the other day. I'm going to tell them about this. So easy to fall into that. But Jesus says that if your deeds are done to be noticed by men, not only do you lose any future reward, having received your reward in full, but that also makes you a hypocrite. A play actor. A mask wearer. And your external deeds end up being no true indication of who you really are spiritually. 
Your mask is impressive, but you're no more spiritual than the unsafe person who decided to ask the newspaper to interview him about his generous gift to the hospital cancer ward. You're just promoting yourself. But we are to do good deeds, right? We established that. And we are to seek reward as well. But beware! Know who it is that you are seeking reward from. And this is not just about what we do up there. This spills over into our personal hidden life too, doesn't it? Sometimes we do the private devotional thing in order to receive a reward from God, don't we? We try to earn God's approval by reading, praying, fasting, giving, or being diligent in the spiritual disciplines. But beware! I'm not saying don't be diligent about the spiritual disciplines, but I'm saying beware that you think that's going to earn God's favor. Because that's hypocritical too. Being personally pious to earn God's favor is just as hypocritical as publicly doing good deeds to earn man's applause. And boasting about our quiet time on the world wide web is a new way to flaunt our hypocrisy, isn't it? I've got my coffee, I've got my Bible, I've got this is what I marked this morning. Be careful, beware. Am I saying it's wrong to take a picture of your Bible in the morning? No. But I'm saying, why are you doing it? Know why you're doing it. I want them to see the Word of God. Or I want them to see that I'm very pious. We are not to try to earn man's applause. We're also not to try to earn God's applause when we're practicing the spiritual disciplines. It's a fine line between letting your light shine before men and seeking their applause or approval. Same thing with God. John Stott said, Our good works must be public so that our light shines and our religious devotions must be secret lest we boast about them. And learning that balance takes some work and discernment and the power of the Holy Spirit. Commentator A.B. Bruce breaks it down by saying that we are to show when tempted to hide, and we're to hide when tempted to show. That's a pretty good rule to live by. Makes good sense. Know what your true motivations are and kill the sin of pride and posturing. If you are tempted to not let your good works glorify your Father in heaven, it's time to show. If you're tempted to show people what you've done spiritually so that they'll applaud you, hide. There's a time to be public and a time to be secret. Jesus will go on in Matthew 6 to say again that our Father who sees in secret will reward you. We see it in Matthew 5-4, I mean 6-4 in what we saw today. He'll say it again in verse 6 about praying. Today it was about giving. Verse 8, it's about praying. Pop there, 6-8. Oh, 6-6, I'm sorry. I'm telling the wrong thing. Your father, pray to your father who's in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now go to the next one, which is 618. That's what I was going for in my head. And your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. There's a right time for secret things, for God to reward those secrets. Beware, though, of your hypocritical tendencies. Know why you're doing what you're doing. Do it and seek the reward that comes from God not man. I want to read this last passage in Ephesians 6. That's not in my notes. 
Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. And then verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. That phrase, eye service as man pleasers, that is what we're trying to avoid. And this has been very convicting for me over this past month. God has just put His finger on it and said, you do what you do so many times with eye service as men pleasers, especially at work. Maybe I'm not as busy as I should be. And then the boss is coming around, so I pick up something and act like I'm doing something. Eye service as a man pleaser. That makes you a hypocrite. And beware of your hypocritical tendencies. Know why you're doing what you're doing. Do it and seek the reward that comes from God, not man. Do good deeds. Give to the needy. Help. Reach out. Work. And fix your gaze on God, knowing that both the desire to do the deed and the power to do it came from Him anyway. And then know that the reward that comes as a result of your works, is just as much a gift of His grace as your very salvation was. And give Him glory and live in a way that leads others to do the same. This is Christian service. This is the Christian life. From Him, through Him, and to Him. The hypocrite believes that it's from himself, through himself, and to himself, and simply for himself. And his paltry reward comes and goes like a breath, a wind, a vapor. May it not be so in my life or in your life. May your reward be eternal from the Father of lights who loves to give good gifts and good rewards from His children that last forever. You say, I don't know anything about this God you're talking about. One day you will stand before this God and He will judge you according to your works. Everybody in this room will be judged according to their works. And you will be saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus and Jesus alone. Your works will not save you, but you will be judged according to your works. The only thing that saves you is placing your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if that sounds like gobbledygook to you and you don't understand what I'm talking about, please sit beside me back here when we sit down and eat and let's talk about it. There is one way to heaven and that is through the finished work of Jesus who was born as a human being, fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life, took the sins of His people upon Himself and absorbed the wrath of God on a cross so that our sins could be punished and we wouldn't have to be punished for them. He died, He was buried, He came to life three days later, He showed Himself alive to over 40 people, over 300 people over a period of 40 days. And then He ascended into heaven where He is sitting right now and He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Place your faith in Him. That's the only way that salvation comes. And then your good deeds will be rewarded by Him for His glory. Let's pray. God, we are very tempted in many ways to do our good deeds before men to be seen by them. God, I pray that you would help us to not be hypocrites. 
Help us to do good deeds and seek rewards and help us, God, to not do it in a way that leaves us hypocritical. Earning your disdain and not your reward. May we be doers of your word so that you get glory in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We just stand and receive a benediction. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.